Well, good morning. Great to, great to be with you. Always uh, excited to come to Portage. Now, for context, if you don't have any idea who I am, um, most importantly, I'm Anna's grandpa. Um, well, and Courtney's dad. I guess that, that also comes into play as well. But uh, no, we're here uh, for other reasons, um, believe it or not. But uh, we added a little time so that we could spend time with Courtney and Jeremy and Anna. So it's a real treat to be here. And then, of course, to have the privilege of opening the Word of God with you. Uh, this is going to be a kind of a part A, part B. So if you're off to Sunday school, I know the Lord will wonderfully bless you uh, in, in that ministry. Um, but uh, we're going to kind of follow up with the thoughts from the first session into the second session. So it's a, a part A, part B. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 96. Um, the last hymn we sang was absolutely appropriate for uh, the, the thoughts that I'd like to share from the Word of God this morning. Psalm 96, and I'm going to have you do a little bit of flipping just in the first uh, couple of minutes as we bounce around to a couple of different passages. Psalm 96, uh, verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Underline these words. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great. He's greatly to be praised. For all the gods, uh, rather he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Notice these words in verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So I highlighted those two lines, verse three, declare his glory among the nations. And then verse eight, give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Turn back to a well-known verse in chapter 19, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and verse one. Psalm 19, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. So, so far we have in Psalm 96 that we are to be declaring his glory to the nations. Uh, in verse 8 it says that we are to be giving him the glory that is due his name. Here in Psalm 19 in verse 1 we are told that the heavens declare the glory of God. Flip over to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. And verse 8, Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. 
Now, if we would take the time, and I'm just going to fast forward over a bunch of history, but we know that when the tabernacle, eventually David's, or Solomon, rather Solomon's temple was built, there was a point in time where the glory of God, the Shekinah glory presence of God came into the temple, and everybody had to leave because the glory just overwhelmed the temple. Uh, later in Ezekiel, as, as the uh, sin of Israel just increased and increased and idol worship uh, increased and increased. We read about a time where um, Ezekiel and the prophet witnessed through a vision the glory of God leaving the temple and he saw it physically leaving the temple, leaving uh, the city and, and, and disappearing. Um, that was in the, uh, the days of Ezekiel the prophet. But then we come to John 1, John 1, and this will be the, the last verse that I'll have you hop to for uh, at the beginning. Uh, John 1 and verse 14, again, a, a well-known verse. John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we... John is speaking here about himself and the, the people that lived in the time of the Lord Jesus. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There was a time when a 12-year-old boy walked into the temple into Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and it could be said that the glory of God returned to the temple. So, what is the glory of God? I mean, I mean, we're we're all seasoned Christians here. I know that's not true. Um, we've got the whole range. In fact, we celebrated a spiritual birthday last night, and uh, and I know there's others around that are celebrating spiritual birthdays around this time of year. Um, what is the glory of God? The, the heavens declare it, the psalmist said. We're supposed to be telling the nations about it. We're supposed to be giving it unto the Lord. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. Isaiah says, in speaking uh, God's word, um, my glory I will not give to another. And then... John 1, speaking of the Lord Jesus, when he came into the world, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we saw his glory. So, if we would have time, and I'm going to keep soldiering on here, um, but if we would open this up for discussion and, and ask, like, how do you define the glory of God? What, what is the glory of God? What do we mean? What do the scriptures mean? Um, when we read about the glory of God, it's used in so many ways. Um, how, do, how do we understand it? Well, as any good student of the Bible, and uh, you're going to be a good student this morning, we're going we're gonna to start with a little word study, and we want to go back into the Old Testament and, and look at that word glory that's in our English passages and most of our translations. What is the Hebrew word behind it? 
and where else is it used? That always is a helpful little exercise because there are times that that same Hebrew word that is translated glory in the, in the verses I read is used differently and sometimes surprisingly differently. The, the, verse, the first time we find it used is back in Genesis. So turn back to Genesis 12. Remember, we're, we're trying to track the the, the history uh, and the use of the word um, that is translated glory. I'll tell you what the word is, um, not that it really is helpful for most of us uh, who speak English to know the Hebrew, but the Hebrew word is kabod. Uh, we could, again, it uses Hebrew letters, so it doesn't really help to tell you how it's spelt, but in our English translation of the Hebrew, it would be K-A-B-A-D. Um, or something like that, kabod. And um, interestingly, um, if, if you remember the story of Eli, I'll get to Genesis 12 in a second, but if you remember Eli the, the priest, um, there was a time when Eli was functioning as priest, but it was a time at the end of his life when he wasn't a very good priest. And you remember... Uh, the story about Eli and his sons, and they were wicked sons, and eventually young Samuel the prophet comes to Eli and says, God is going to judge you and your family. In fact, um, your, your sons are both going to die, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and the, the story goes on, uh, and how it happened was there was a battle. The Philistines came to fight against Israel, and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and taken back. Um, do you remember that uh, story? If you don't, it's okay, uh, but it's, it's in the scriptures. And, uh, and, and so news came back that the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, came back to Eli. You remember what happened to Eli? Uh, well, he, first he heard that his sons were killed, but then he heard that the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and taken from the land of Israel. into, And that was yeah, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, he, he fell over backwards and, and he died. What, did he have a heart attack? I don't know. But he, he, he fell over, he died. And, and then we're told that um, the, the widow of one of the sons, tracking with me, this is a lot of detail here. The widow of one of the sons, the son's name was Phinehas, you remember that? And uh, his wife, she went into labor at, the, at word of, the, of, of what had happened, that the ark had been taken, and, and this was so traumatic that she went into labor. To make this whole story worse, she dies as she's giving birth to this child, but she said on her deathbed, do you remember what the name is? She said, call his name Ichabod. Ichabod. Remember I just said glory Kabod? And, and she said, call his name Ichabod because the glory has left Israel. The glory has left and departed Israel. So Again, in Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I'm just faking it, just so you all know. But the the I on the front of the end makes it a negative, a negative word. So you've got kabod. That's what we're going to be looking at here in Genesis. But but she named him I kabod, 
no glory. Glory has departed. Can you imagine going around um, with that name for the rest of your life? Hi, I'm, I'm Ichabod. <laughs> um, anyways, so that's, so we see that word used, kabod, glory. Um, so now here in Hebrews, or sorry, Genesis chapter 12, in verse 10, this word kabod, or a form of this word, is used in verse 10. And I'd like you to tell me where it is used. Okay, so here's the verse, Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So our word that we're looking for, that is translated later as glory or glorious, is used in this verse. Anybody have an idea of where kabod or kabed, the other form of it, is used in this verse? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Uh, it's a good guess, but no, it's not land. No. Severe. Severe. Oh, that's interesting. So let's, let's think about it. The, the famine was severe. It was, it was kabed. Um, I'm just switching noun and adjective here in the Hebrew, so don't worry about it. Um, the famine was severe in the land. So, so what does it mean? It means to be heavy or weighty. Um, so this wasn't just like a, a little, you know, light, you know, ish problem here um, as far as uh, the, this famine, but it was it was weighty, it was heavy, it was it was really bad, uh, it was it was severe, uh, it was it was kabed, um, it was it was really bad, weighty. Now it's used a second time in the next chapter. Interesting. So we follow this word study, chapter thirteen and verse two. You, you read it um, to yourself, and you tell me uh, where, which word now is used, uh, kabod or kabed. What, where, where would you find it in, in Genesis 13 and verse 2? Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Any? Anybody? Rich. Same word. He's... He we would say he's loaded. He's, he's weighted down with possessions. He's got all kinds of stuff. He was very rich. And so, again, here's this word that, that gets used later as, as glory and, and glorious. Over here, it's, first it's talking about a famine. It's weighty, it's severe, it's heavy. Um, same word, in, in, in chapter 13, verse 2, Abram was very rich. He was loaded with possessions. Now, now move to Genesis 45. This is the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph and his brothers, Joseph's rejection. Uh, he ends up in Egypt. He ends up in prison. Eventually, he's... Uh, God intervenes, he's released, um, he ends up in second in command uh, to, to the Pharaoh of Egypt, and uh, finally he reveals himself to his brothers, 
and he, and he says to his brothers in uh, Genesis 45 and verse 13, uh, he said, and so you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. So, so Joseph is saying to his brothers, you've seen, you've seen where I live, you've seen how I dress, you've eaten in my house, you, you know who I am, I want you to go tell our father back in the land of Israel about my glory, and he uses the same word, kabod. So, so what, what, is, what does he want the brothers to tell his father? Just that he's got a lot of money? Well, that's probably part of it. I mean, it, I mean, it's all part of the package of who Joseph has become, right? His, his money, um, his servants, his house, uh, chariot, uh, all these things. And, uh, and Joseph's brothers have seen this. And uh, not only does Joseph have all of this access to wealth and money, but, but he, has, he has the authority to control the storehouses of grain in Egypt that have been stored. He's been, he's been elevated to this amazing position. And, and Joseph says to his brothers, I want you to go tell my father of all my glory. In other words, it's, everything it's the whole package i i want you to you know it, it would be it would it would be so inappropriate just for the brothers to say man you to go back to to dad and say he's got a lot of money well, that would be part of the story or man he drives a nice car i mean a, a chariot or or he's he's got you know those would all be appropriate things but no Joseph said, go tell him of all my glory. Tell him, tell him about everything. Tell him about the, the weightiness of who I am, uh, of all that I, that I am. Go report of, of my position, my authority, uh, and so on. And so when we use the word and when the, the Bible uses the word glory, in reference to God, it is, it's in a similar way. It's, it's this, this idea of the whole, um, the, as one writer says, the sum total of all of the attributes of God. Um, and so when we think of the glory of God, we're, we're thinking about his, his awesome splendor. Um, we sang holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The word holy simply means to be set apart. When the, when the angels, the seraphim in Isaiah 6, they, they saw that, and we'll talk about this in the second session, uh, they saw the glory of God, holy, holy, holy. They, they recognized God is very different from everything else they've seen, and so they, they worshipped him be, because of it. But, but the glory of God is this thought of the, 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 all of the attributes, all of the characteristics of God, if you boiled down into one, if you would. And, and that's the glory of God. It's, it's, his, it's, it's who he is and what he's like. Um, someone has put it this way. It's the, the singular splendor of God. 
And so we like to talk about his power. We like to talk in the thinking of the Lord Jesus and his miracles and, and grace and mercy and, and love and all of these things. We, we bring it all together in one big package. That's the, the glory of God. And, and the New Testament that talks about how it outshines. It's just, it's just on display for everybody to see. Um, the glory of God. So let's take this a little further then. Um, those who spend a lot of time trying to help us to understand, so you call them theologians. They study the scriptures, take a lot of time, and they do a lot of writing, and uh, we all at one level should be theologians, but some, that's what they do. Their whole life is, is spent uh, thinking and writing about these things. And so obviously the glory of God and, and helping trying to define it, to understand it, is something that theologians would spend a lot of time trying to do. And so theologians will sometimes break, break the glory of God for our understanding into two categories. There's, there's the personal glories of God, that is who God is, and then, the, and then they will talk about the moral glories of God, what God is like. Got that? So you've got the personal glories of God over here, the, the moral glories of God what he's like. So let's think, for example, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Another interesting little word study, the word declare. What does it mean to declare? Because later we read in Psalm 96 that we're supposed to declare so it should, it's, it's important we know what glory is, first of all, and then we, we should know what it means to declare, um, because if we don't know what to declare is, and we don't know what the glory of God is, then we can't do that. Um, so declare, the heavens declare the glory of God. The, the word declare, we actually find it back in Genesis when God says to Abraham, I want you to go out and I want you to count the stars. I want you to count, I want you to number the stars. Well, that, that word number or count is the exact same word as declare in Psalm 19. And you say, well, what's the connection? Well, when you number something, we, we number it because we're trying to, to quantify it. We're trying to, we're trying to give it a, well, a number, I, I, lacking words here. Uh, when we number something, we're, we're trying to figure out how, how big it is. And, and, and so God says to Abram, go and count the stars, number them uh, one by one. And uh, when we declare the glory of God, uh, we're, we're, supposed to be, and as we're, we're supposed to be trying to um, give expression to uh, his greatness. And, and as we talk about the glory of God and all the things that, that are part of his glory, we're, we're, in essence, we're, like, we're, we're counting, we're giving number to it or quantity to it. And so as we declare and we speak of the glory of God, we're, we are finite human beings. We're never going to be able to cover it all. You know, when we go and we're supposed to declare his glory to the nations, well, we're not going to be able to do that uh, to, in its completeness. But we can tell what we know. And we can tell about the things we enjoy and the things that he's taught us and, and the things he's revealed to us, and the things we've discovered about him. As we tell others what we know, we're declaring, we're, we're, we're helping to add to the number, if you will, give understanding to the glory of God. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, let's think about this, the heavens. Um, anybody know the speed of light? It's fast, right? Um, those of you who are scientists, 300,000 kilometers per second, okay? So, so that's fast. I've got some numbers written down here for my memory. So 300,000 kilometers per second. So um, that means that if you were traveling on a, an aircraft at the speed of light, you would go around the earth, the circumference of the earth, seven times in a second. Okay? That's the, that's the speed of light. That's fast, right? So... If you start going in a straight line out into outer space and the captain comes on the uh, whatever, intercom, whatever you call it, and uh, says, I want you to look out to your left. Uh, we're passing the moon. Do you know how long it would take to get to the moon at that speed? He'd have to say it really fast because in two seconds, you'd be past the moon. Okay. So that's, that's fast, right? So he'd have a little more time um, to point out Mars because Mars is four minutes traveling at the speed of light. So seven times around the Earth's circumference in a second. It takes four minutes at that speed to get to Mars. Okay? We've just started. How long do you think it takes to get to the sun? If you know your, your numbers, it's 8.2 minutes traveling at the, that speed, at the speed of light, to get to the sun. We've just started. The closest star traveling at that speed, 4.3 years. Okay, does your mind start to go a little squirrely at this point? Um, trying to fathom seven times, you know, this, I can't even do it, right? And uh, around the circumference of the earth, we flew uh, earlier this year to Malaysia. It took us 15 hours on a plane to get halfway, and we were going at seven, 800, I don't know, whatever jets fly at, um, kilometers an hour. Uh, so that's fast, but um, so, okay. Closest star, 4.3 years. Do you know what the, our galaxy is called? Anybody know what our galaxy is called? Any of our students? The Milky Way galaxy. So that is our galaxy. Do you have any idea how long it takes to cross our galaxy in, uh, at the speed of light? I'll tell you, because I know it, well, I read it. 100,000 years at the speed of light to cross our galaxy. NASA, over the years, has been, of course, studying space, and, and they've been trying to estimate how many galaxies it would take um, to, to um, or how many galaxies are in the universe. And 
originally, you know, it was a number like 10,000. And then they're like, no, it's a lot bigger than this. It's probably 100,000. Um, now they are estimating, NASA is estimating, that there are 100 billion galaxies like ours in the cosmos. How long do you think it takes to get from our galaxy to the neighbors, <laughs> the neighboring galaxies? I'll tell you, they estimate about two million years traveling at the speed of light to get to the next galaxy. Do your, does your mind like, yeah, like it just, it kind of shuts down at that, well, mine shut down a lot earlier than that because the point is I, I can't comprehend it. I don't understand it. I, I, Sherry's heard me talk about this a number of times and I bring it up wherever I can. If you have interest in this type of thing, Google the James Webb Space Telescope, JWST. It's the, the newest telescope. There was the Hubble telescope that was out for 20 years and about a year and a half ago, they launched this new telescope, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope. And I find it so fascinating. I think I've looked at enough things that I start getting fed this information. But what I'm finding interesting is the astronomers and the scientists, like they, they thought because it, it can see, um, they're saying 13.7 billion light years out on this telescope. And so the articles before it went out, they were, they were assuming that they would get to the Big Bang. They thought that they would get to the origin. They would see to the very beginning because that's kind of what they were estimating that, that, and that this telescope would get there. But what they're finding, and they're very troubled by it, you read it and you word, read words like fear or we're concerned or we're afraid because they're finding that they're not getting to the edge. And just in the last week, I read something and they're saying, you know what? The universe may be at least two times bigger and older than we ever thought it would be. In other words, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. The heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high. This is God actually speaking. And here are some questions that I have to ask. Who brings out their host by number? Who measures the water in the hollows of his hand? Who measures, this is the one I like, who measures heaven with a span? Who? God does. He, he spoke it into existence. The heavens... They declare the glory of God. They are, a, they are a testimony. They are a parable. They, and so as we, as we look into the transcendent heavens and we can't comprehend them, we realize, and the psalmist says things like this, um, he made the stars as the work of his fingers. And we think, well, what kind of a being can make the stars, this expanse of heaven, just, just with his fingers. Uh, 
He knows the number of each of them and calls them all by name, we read in Psalm 147. What kind of a mind? What, what kind of wisdom? What kind of ability to comprehend? Psalm 113 says of, of this one, his glory is above the heavens and he humbles himself to behold the things in the earth. What kind of a magnificent, glorious being is this that, that has to humble himself to look into the heavens? And NASA and all of the universities that are building this t space telescope, they're just trying to get to the edges and comprehend the edges. And, and yet the psalmist is describing a God who, who is so great and so awesome that he has to humble himself to consider what's going on in earth. Why did God waste, this is, I use that word carefully, why did he waste so much space? He's wasting it, like to, to house a, a speck of humanity and a, a you know, speck of dust, relatively speaking, in the earth and in this galaxy. Why such a big galaxy and, and just, just humanity, those made in his image, unique image bearers on this little rolling sphere called Earth. Why such a vast universe? Why such a, an amazing galaxy? We often will sit in a lawn chair and look back at the stars and say, man, I feel so small. Well, that's the wrong message. What God wants us to get is, wow, he's amazing. The one who created it. The heavens declare the glory of God. Okay, I'm almost out of time, but just, I have to be quick here. Go with me to Exodus 33. This is Moses being called into action. This is after the burning bush, of course, but it's, it's now God saying to Moses, it's time to, um, it's time to lead the people. Uh, into the land. And uh, he says in Exodus 33, this is God speaking to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses responded and said, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will I know and be known to your people that I've found grace in your sight? Jumping down to well, verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. So that's a bold request. Think about it. We've just been talking about this God who is just outside of time, space, and history, beyond what we comprehend. And Moses says to this God who's speaking to him, Show me your glory. They go, oh, you really, you really want to, you really want to see it? Uh, can you handle it? And notice what God says in response in verse nineteen. I will make all my goodness pass before you. Well, that's different. I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Later on in verse 6, it says that God passed by him 
revealed himself as a God who is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. The point is that, yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, the, the, the personal glories of God, who God is in all of his uh, transcendence, amazing, that tell us things about who God is. But there's another aspect to the glory of God, and that's his character. That's his heart. It's what he is like. And when, when Moses said to God, show me your glory, and God said, I will show you my goodness, God wasn't just sidestepping or deking out and avoiding a kind of a tough question. No, God was responding to Moses directly and saying, I'm going to show you an aspect of my glory. It's my goodness. It's my, it's my moral character. It's who I am. It's, it's what I am like. So that, uh, again, we could spend so much time here, but go back to, uh, to John again, John 1. And uh, we'll, we'll just see this thought again before we close. John 1 and verse 14. So... John in verses uh, earlier in this chapter have, has been talking about um, the, the, the amazing history of Jesus of Nazareth in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus in his deity. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and so on. But then in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice, full of grace and full of truth. So clearly his personal glories that we were talking about, that the heavens declare, they were, they were being veiled, they were being covered, they weren't on full display uh, there were times that we saw his glory on display, but, but, but what was on display, he was full of grace. He treated people in ways they didn't deserve. He, he, he I mean, we could go down the list, go through the Gospels and all the stories, the way he responded to children, the way he treated women and elevated their status and role, the, the way he had compassion on those that were hungry and were like shepherds that had, had or like sheep that had no shepherds. They were distressed and fearful and so on. And we see in the life of the Lord Jesus, the heart of God. And as John goes on in verse 18 of, of the same chapter of John 1, no one has seen God at any time. The, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, that means nearest to the Father's heart, the only one who knew God most intimately is the eternal Son. It says he has declared him. He has brought him out of the open and revealed God to us. So that James, when, or rather uh, John could, could say, no, rather the Lord Jesus could say to Thomas um, in, in John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. 
So when we think of glory, just in summary, um, we think of, of this, this word that is used uh, to describe the full, the full picture of who God is and what he's like in all of his amazing splendor and magnificence. The personal glories, the heavens declare, we look to the heavens and we, we learn something of the, of the splendor and the wonder of the God who made them and holds all things together, um, you know, with a word. Uh, we're, we, we're lost, we're amazed by that. But we come over here and we look to the person of the Lord Jesus and his life and we say, wow, what a, what a glorious God we have. Look at his, his grace um, the Lord Jesus, everything he said always was true. He never had to retract his words. He never, he never exaggerated something that wasn't true. He never missed something or never spoke out of turn. He, it was always true, and he always acted in truth. Full of grace, full of truth. You and I, we, we sometimes get grace right, but we compromise truth or we really emphasize truth and we're not gracious. The Lord Jesus, it was just this wonderful display, his moral character. Uh, he's good. He's, he's, he's infinitely good. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said that God is good is taught or implied on every page of the Bible and must be received as an article of faith. It is the foundation stone for all sound thought about God and is necessary to moral sanity. Uh, we look out in the world around us and, and we, there's a lot of questions. Uh, look at what happened in Morocco uh, just yesterday. Another earthquake, thousands of souls uh, ushered into eternity. I, I don't understand. But the scriptures say that God is good. And, and one day he will be vindicated in all his goodness and we will see that, that everything that he has done is, is not only good, it's just, it's perfect, it's righteous. He never gets it wrong and we can trust him with our lives. The psalmist David said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would, I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So the glory of God, obviously a, a massive undertaking to fully understand uh, what God is like, but we try. Uh, and as God reveals himself to us, as we, as we look into the heavens, we, we understand more of the, the personal, the essential glories of God, what he's like. We look at the person of the Lord Jesus. We look at the cross, ultimately, and we see this is, this is God's heart. This is his moral glory on display, his goodness, his justice, his righteousness, his grace, and so on. Father, we're grateful um, that you have not left us to come up with our own creation of what you are like. Uh, you want to be known. That's, that's part of your character. You desire a relationship with each one of us. And so you have... You have revealed yourself uh, through the heavens. You've revealed yourself, more importantly, through your son, the Lord Jesus. The Hebrew writer said that you spoke in various times uh, through the prophets in different ways. But in these late, last days, these, you've spoken through your son. He was the full radiance of your glory. 
how grateful we are to have come to know him. So Lord, we thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us. Help us to give you the glory that you deserve, the weight in our lives that you deserve. Uh, you indeed are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.